Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert and i am in downtown starkville at the uh, greater starkville development partnership headquarters we are here in mississippi's college town starkville mississippi and rhino safe and sound back in the super talk headquarters we'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this friday y'all uh, yes, it is. Beautiful day out there, folks. So get out and enjoy it. Fantastic, uh, really quintessential, I would say, fall weather has blanketed the great state of Mississippi. An enjoyable ride up here this morning, Rhino, uh, traversing the roads from central Mississippi up here to Starkville. Uneventful, that's the way we like it, but absolutely gorgeous. The leaves beginning to turn. It is fall. And you know what else is turning? That's election day. It's next to Tuesday, <laughs> as you well know. We got a great show lined up for you today from the Greater Starkville Development Partnership. We got Representative Rob Robertson coming up in the next segment. We'll speak with Joe Max Higgins. He's the CEO of the Golden Triangle Development Link. Always an entertaining discussion and informative as well. David Shaw, the provost and executive vice president of Mississippi State University, just down the road here. He'll come on to kick off hour two of the program. We've got Senator Bart Williams, represents District 15 up in this area. He's the vice chair of the Senate Technology Committee, also in hour two and then we'll wrap things up with mayor lynn spruill she'll join us at 12 35 well uh appreciate ash for filling in for me yesterday took the day off to uh, speak to the fantastic folks over at the madison ridgeland uh, rotary just uh, down the street uh, where they meet from where i live so that was a short drive really appreciate that enjoyed that but uh, we had a debate in case you guys didn't know, on Wednesday night, it is billed as the first and only debate. You can catch a good story about it at uh, Super Talk Mississippi Media website. Our news department did a great job. Caleb Sailors, uh, one of the staff members in the news department, was in attendance. This was conducted by WAPT in the studio there. Moderated uh, by Megan West was one of the moderators, and also Troy Johnson. 
And there was some other journalists that were allowed to at least attend, and then there was a a, uh, a little press conference, shall we say, uh, post the debate. The debate endured for an hour, and I got to tell you, I watched it. I did go to Mistletoe Marketplace, the Junior League of Jackson. What a fantastic event that was! My daughter heavily involved with that, but uh, my wife was kind enough to allow me to take in the debate. Uh, most of it before we got in the vehicle and headed down to the the trademark for Mistletoe Marketplace. So I caught it. It was a bit pugnacious, I think is one way I would describe it. Uh, Rhino, I don't know if you, you watched it or have seen any of the, the takes of it. Uh, but the candidates, um, they, they kind of went after each other, which I think is to be expected, certainly in a general election. Um and they traded barbs for about an hour, which was entertaining. But from a policy perspective, I sort of calculated the amount of time I paid attention to that they spent discussing the issue of Medicaid expansion. That endured for at least a quarter of the debate. A quarter of the debate. And, the, uh, uh, of course, the candidates have a, a different take on that, different positions. You know that... Commissioner Brandon Presley has said that he would expand Medicaid day one should he be fortunate to land himself in the office of governor of the great state of Mississippi. The governor, Tate Reeves, has, has been, he's been firm on his opposition to expanding Medicaid. He's indicated that, uh, in fact, he did it again during the debate, that he does not believe that is the proper approach to address the issue of health care and the health care industry in the state, and in particular, specifically, the financial struggles that rural hospitals are currently facing. But i got to tell you, it's more than just rural hospitals. This is a nationwide problem. The issue of hospital financial stability is a nationwide problem. It is not unique to Mississippi. It is not unique to rural hospitals. It's overall... It, it is a, uh, an issue that is, is getting a lot of attention, certainly in state governments. So, but we have, honestly, we've gotten to a point where in this, in this race, it, that is front and center, Medicaid expansion. That was the first question asked, and according to my calculations, it, uh, it consumed about a quarter of the debate, about 15 minutes. And, and again, the candidates have different takes. So... After the uh, debate, uh, when the candidates took questions from the media, Caleb Sailors from Supertalk asked the question of Brandon Presley, the same thing that we've talked about here on the program, a completely valid, reasonable question. He said, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, that, uh, look, if you're elected governor, you're going to be, okay, play it for us, Rhino. We, I think we got the sound right here. You mentioned Medicaid expansion, how you yeah. work to pass it day one. How would you work with the Republican supermajority in the legislature to enact such legislation? Look, I love working across the party aisle. I love working with Republicans as a Democrat. I think you've got to do that as governor. Quite frankly, I'll get along better with the Republican House and Senate than Tate Reeves will, because I want to have a good working relationship with them. I realize the governor is not a dictator. I realize that. And so uh, I believe there's a majority in the House and the Senate today that are uh, definitely would pass Medicaid expansion. 
and I think it's a matter of leadership at the governor's office. I would take the step first day to order the Division of Medicaid to file for the Section 1115 waiver. Tate Reeves obviously doesn't even know what that is, but that is something the governor could do on first day. That's exactly what I would do. Medicaid expansion's time has come. 230,000 working people in Mississippi that are working tonight, doing jobs that Tate Reeves is too good to do. He calls them welfare recipients. When they're working, when they're working every day for a living, they deserve a chance at health care. 34 hospitals deserve to be saved, and we can create 16,000 good health care jobs. I'm going to get Medicaid expansion done if I'm elected governor. All right, so uh, we only got a couple of minutes left in this segment, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this topic a fair amount today, and we'll continue it into Monday. But the Section 1115 waivers that Mr. Presley says the governor is not aware of, well, he doesn't know what the governor is aware of or what he's not aware of. I, I know Tate well enough to know uh, he immerses himself in complex policy. And I can assure you that Executive Director of Medicaid, Drew Snyder, is well aware, well aware of Section 1115 waivers. I'm going to attempt to explain it to you, folks. Section 1115 waivers are just one group of waivers, if you will, one category that are available to states with respect to operating their Medicaid program. And that's because Medicaid, as you hopefully know, is a combined federal and state funded program. It's actually administered at the state level in accordance with uh, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare's uh, policies that they promulgate. It's a huge part of the pre uh, federal government. Uh, and, and so states can apply for some exceptions to the framework of those policies. Uh, 1115 waivers are one of those. Now, here's the thing about 1115 waivers. They really don't have anything to do directly with paying for health care services. Rather, what they address are what are called health-related social needs, HRSN, the acronym. And, and states that apply for these waivers, what they, what they um, purport to address are what is called social determinants of health, S-D-O-H. It's all about equity, all about equity. And so some states, several actually, have applied uh, for 11-15 waivers. The closest one to us, Arkansas. Arkansas has received an 1115 waiver, and what these waivers actually allow the states to do is receive certain amount of funds or additional funding as part of Medicaid expansion to pay for things like nutrition counseling and education, health meal preparation, case management, um, housing and helping folks stabilize their housing as part of their medical treatment. Um, individuals with high-risk pregnancies, for example, get two years of postpartum coverage. Uh, folks that are subject to poverty get all sorts of other services. So it's more to it than what Mr. Presley is leading you to believe. We're coming right back with more. We're in Starkville, Mississippi. we got Representative Rob Robertson. Stay with us. Check it out.
Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays we are live on this gorgeous friday fall friday we're in downtown starkville at the greater starkville development partnership for um mississippi state's homecoming i believe is tomorrow is that right that's right Represent? yeah i thought so mississippi's college town that's where we are and we welcome to the program now representative rob robertson he represents District 43, which includes Octibaha and Winston counties. He serves as the chair of the House Rules Committee. Beautiful day out there, Representative Robertson, isn't it, though? It is absolutely beautiful. I, I tell you, it's a lot warmer than it was yesterday, so I'm glad to be here. That's what I heard. The wind shifted around a little bit from out of the north to the south today, and that's moderated the temperatures. But gorgeous sunshine, beautiful downtown, Starkville. And you just told me we're going to have a bunch of food to eat as well down here, there's, right? There's plenty. <laughs> if you are hungry, come downtown. We can take care of you. <laughs> well, it's, it's homecoming. You can uh, celebrate Mississippi State's homecoming. Homecoming with Tailgate the Town. That's happening, I believe, today. Today, uh, and then there's also a Christmas open house coming up on Sunday, November the 12th. You can enjoy deals at the unique shops and boutiques, perfect for holiday shopping. All right. So besides the beautiful weather and the Mississippi State uh, homecoming that is uh, scheduled for tomorrow, and just a slate of great college football in store for us, uh, in in and certainly in the state of Mississippi, uh, at Ole Miss as well. We uh, we got a, an election coming up on Tuesday, in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> I, I, I did. I noticed. <laughs> we got an election coming up. Uh, let's talk about your race first. What, what's going on? I'm good. I, we, we didn't have uh, an opponent this time, so my wife is thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Well, and, and a, a lot of folks have pointed out to me that we have a number of legislative races where uh, there is no opposition. So, and I think we had Representative Lee Yancey on the other day, and he said, well, that either means I'm doing a good job or nobody wants to do this job, one or the other. I, think, I don't think that many people really want to do this job, to be real <laughs> honest with you. The, 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 the bulk of the people out there that, that I talk to, they, I do think they think I'm doing a good job, but the, the reality is is that, you know, to, to leave home for three or four months out of the year and, and leave your business, that's, that's, a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow, and it's yeah. especially tough on a family. Yeah, well, I mean, because uh, you don't make enough money really to make any kind of decent living uh spending three months a year down there at the capitol uh it's it's a little bit of pay and some expense reimbursement but uh for for almost all of them i would say it's a far less than what they make in their private life the the bulk of the the members that i talk to the, serving their people is really in their heart and, and, and this is across the board whether they're democrat or republican the reality is that the bulk of your house members and your senate members they're, they're people that love their community uh that want to do a good job their community now we don't always agree sure. on how to get there but the reality is i think that's where their heart is well i haven't got to know so many of them uh both privately in a social setting and then publicly down at the capitol or here on the show i would agree with that i would absolutely agree i had a i had someone tell me one time whenever i first started getting into politics they said rob uh 
there are two types of people to get in politics. There, there are people that want to do something, and there are people that want to be somebody. Which do you want to be? <laughs> and and it's it's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, um, I've always wanted to to make certain that my community was uh, the best it could be. And and there's lots of projects that we're we're moving forward with and trying to get th things going here. We've got one of the largest economic development projects in the state uh, state's history. Yeah. And so it's it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And it does take a a community. Uh, I think I've heard it said that it takes a, a community. Uh, to raise a child. Well, I can tell you it takes a community to do economic development. No doubt about it. And Joe Max Higgins, uh, who's the CEO of the Golden Triangle Development Link, is on the program later on. And, and uh, what a gem he is. He's uh, been instrumental in uh, much of the success enjoyed in the Golden Triangle in terms of economic development. So did you happen to catch the debate? I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Uh, Any thoughts? You know, as, as a political junkie, you can't help but love the the back and forth. Absolutely, uh, the, there was a lot of uh, of sparring that happened. Uh, I think that 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 uh, Brandon Presley's game plan was to go in and and try to shake uh, the governor and and make him feel uh, less than uh, in his posture and pose. And, and and he did a very good job of of doing that. But you know the reality is is that I think Tate considers himself more of a workhorse not a show horse that's right so I, I think in the long run i don't think it changed anybody's mind uh, i think that's probably true that's a good way to put it i don't know that any minds were changed i think the key is going to be as it almost always is as you well know having run races is folks got to get out and vote absolutely and that's the big deal you know the the one thing that really is interesting to me is the the bulk of the people that like to complain whether it be on the internet or whatever if you really look at what they they do and and and, and the fact that some of them don't vote yeah that blows my mind that you yeah. have the audacity to call someone and fuss about something but you don't even get it take the time to go vote so we we really have to push forward and and make people understand that it's time to to you know is is I've heard it said, put your money where your mouth is. Show up and vote. Make, get involved. Be, be a part of your your community and do some things that make your community better. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, did did you have any uh, particular reaction to the, the various assertions and positions on the key issues I just said? You may have heard before uh, in the last segment. I should say that uh, over a quarter, roughly a quarter, slightly more than a quarter of the hour was dedicated to just the subject of Medicaid expansion which is incredible to me when you think about that. I, I think Medicaid expansion is something that's on everybody's mind. Um, let, let me say this. I, I think that we should never, as Republicans, back up from having that discussion. We should always be willing to, to, to look at these things and see what would be the benefit and what would be the, the, the downside. Um, you know, th this money doesn't fall from, from heaven. It, it's, it's, this is taxpayer money, regardless of how you look at it. And to suggest that you're going to have hospitals that don't close if we expand, I, I think that's a that's not a fair assessment it's not a fair assessment at all the reality is is that you're still going to have problems um, and you're still going to have some situations out there now that doesn't mean that we don't need to look at situations and and try to figure out what the best remedy uh, for some of this is but but health care in general is going through a complete change and Mississippi is not the only place that's having these problems. Yeah. So I, I do find it a little bit disingenuous to, to suggest that expansion of Medicaid is going to to somehow be the silver bullet that 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 solves this problem. It's it's not. But we shouldn't um, back away from 
being willing to have the discussion. Yeah. So um, Commissioner Presley said that when asked, you may have heard us play that in the last segment, when asked, you're dealing with supermajority Republicans in the legislature, should you be elected, how would you get legislation to your desk? through the legislature and he says well privately there are many republicans that support medicaid expansion and that's why he thinks that it's it's viable your thoughts i don't know i don't know who all he is talking to i mean i i certainly would not suggest that he is making things up i, I don't think anybody uh, wants to necessarily go down that road but the reality is is that once you sit down with 122 of us and and you're going to find out that we have a mixed uh, a mixed barrel. I, I'm one of these people that have never been uh, opposed to having the discussion. What I am opposed to is making bad decisions. And to, to go out here and use this as a political tool to, to win any election to me is, is a problem. And you cannot, you, you cannot go out here and sell people a bill of goods and then underperform. You got to believe, though, that the that the Presley consultants, the campaign consultants, and he's well funded. You know, he's got uh, some sophisticated people advising him that are very experienced at this. Have have somehow figured out this is a winning issue for him because they absolutely pound it. It's him. It's the Democrat Party uh, and their apparatus as well. I received more emails this morning. I'm on both email lists. And uh, they're just relentless about that. But but they're a bit disingenuous, I think, in saying that, oh, yeah, this just keeps the rural hospitals uh, solvent or makes them solvent and avoids any closure. Well, that we're seeing problems across the country. I just talked about that in the, in the last segment, including in California in the, in the Medi-Cal program. That's their version of <coughs> Medicaid. Hospitals there are struggling. So... I think it's a much broader conversation to address this health care issue than just Medicaid expansion. I, I agree 100%. And, and I'm not even suggesting that, that we shouldn't open this up. I, I don't think you could have to, to be 100% one way or 100% the other. There is a balanced approach to this that would make some sense. Let's look at it. Let's do what it takes to, to bring us together as a state, not Democrats, Republicans, but as a state, and manage our money, manage our people, manage the health care system in a way that, that will make sense, not just sit out here and try to get elected. The yeah. reality is it's easy to get elected. It's hard to actually No cover. doubt about it. I, you're so right about that. And uh, I totally agree with the governor when he says our objective should be to get people off of welfare and get them into gainful employment. And you wonder when Mr. Presley keeps saying these are working people, working people. Well, okay, well then why is it they don't have coverage? How can we work with their employers to figure out a way to get commercial coverage, which is way better than, than uh, Medicaid, honestly? So we've got to get creative. Absolutely, and that's where the, the reality of us coming together and coming up with some balance to this. I agree. Uh, Representative Robertson, appreciate you joining us. And good luck on the football game this weekend. Thank you. Yes, appreciate sir. you. We're going to step aside for a break right here. When we come back, we got Joe Max Higgins. He's the CEO of the Golden Triangle Development Link. We're in Starkville, Mississippi at the Greater Starkville Development Partnership. Starkville, Mississippi, Mississippi's college town. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are downtown Starkville, Mississippi. That's Mississippi's college town at the Greater Starkville Development Partnership. We welcome to the program now our good friend Joe Max Higgins, the CEO of the Golden Triangle Development Link. Joe Max, always good to see you, sir. Thank you. All right, so give me the latest. What's up with the uh, the various economic development projects in the Golden Triangle? You got your hands full, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we, well, we've got got a lot of things happening, a lot of things being built. Um, probably out at the Golden Triangle area, uh, there's probably about $3.2 billion worth of projects being built out there. Aluminum mill, biochar, uh, Turberg Taylor truck plant uh, just announced. Uh, a few days ago, uh, PACCAR is going to build a new remanufacturing facility and do a big improvement to their facility. Um, got some things going in West Point, uh, looking pretty good, like down to the finals. Uh, got some stuff going on here at Starkville. I think probably this month we will have a tenant for the spec building. Uh, we got a new 100,000 square foot pad beside it. We're going to do another one. Okay. And we got a 200,000 square foot pad uh, that we think we're going to get funds for to build. And then... Uh, Probably one of the present things is the Cinco Mega site. Uh, everybody asks us, so "What? How much are you working on the aluminum mill?" Now, I work on the aluminum mill about one day a week. I work on the announced when this uh, this year earlier. Yeah, it was, well, it was in uh, November, November of last year. Of last okay. year, and yeah. they're uh, they're working about a thousand people out there building. April, they're projecting to have three thousand employees on site. That's a little more than they thought, huh? A mm, little bit, a yeah. little bit, and uh, and they're moving. They probably move five million yards of dirt, and are still moving dirt. Uh, <laughs> the superstructure's pa partially up. Uh, the walls and the ceilings are are partially up on some of it. But but again, Cinco Megasite's what's taking time. I mean, we 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 woke up and and we've always been land rich. And when I say land rich, had thousands of acres developed ready to go. Yeah. And uh, now we're kind of you know with with the aluminum mill and its its subsidiaries coming in, we found ourselves with 2,600 acres developed gone. Yeah. And so, uh, Cinco Megasite, we've done the survey, we've done the soil borings, a couple of graphic surveys are done. We're finishing up our Due diligence, uh, July is our target to have all that stuff done. Uh, then we'll start talking about the acquisition of it. And uh, hopefully uh, that'll be our fifth megasite. Hopefully we can get a fifth tenant and keep on rocking. Well, when you're buying land for megasites, that's a good problem, is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. This, <laughs> that's this, what you want. <laughs> yeah, this is 1,500 15, acres, and it's right across. It's on Highway 82, and it's right across from Pat Carr. So that's awesome. a lot of people know where it is. Yeah, that's that's totally awesome. Um What's it been like the the last few years in economic development, uh, Joe Max? It, are you seeing an increase, a slowdown, and more importantly, what are the prospects telling you? What are their priorities? Well, I mean, we haven't seen a slowdown. Uh, uh, I got a call from a reporter at the uh, at our dispatch paper yesterday, and he said, "I'm doing a story on the last five years. Can you give me some numbers?" And it's about thirty three point two billion dollars committed and invested in the last five years. Yeah. Um, well over 3,000 jobs, so so it's it's been good, and uh, you know we we deal with the consultants quite a bit, but but we have kind of entered into a new arena where we 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 generally are dealing with the companies direct, okay, and we're starting to see more deals where there's not a consultant involved. Interesting. And we've got a 200 million dollar project looking over here, and we're dealing with the CEO and the CEO COO of the company 
directly, not not a consultant. Involved. Do you prefer that? You know, Gerard, it depends. If the company's sophisticated and, you know, SDI didn't have a site right. for the aluminum mill. Right. Um, it really depends on their team and what they know. Sometimes a consultant's good because they know about air permits and they know about lead times for power and they know the business. Sometimes the companies that come in don't have it, don't know that. So you've got to walk them through yeah. that. So. Yeah. Uh, it, it depends. If, if they're sophisticated, yeah, I think I would. Yeah. Uh, if they're not, I'd rather them have a consultant. You know, uh, your good friend and my good friend, Joey Deason, that our executive director that worked with you, executive director of Madison County, uh, we're working on some stuff down there, as we always are, of course. But I've gotten some feedback from Joey recently where some of the prospects he's working with have said that Mississippi is a, a really easy state to do business with. Yeah. No, I, th I think I think it's generally uh, 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 the right the right answer, and uh, you know right now probably the challenge for the state, and it's not anything the state of Mississippi can really do, but it's it's this electrical power deal. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think some of the power companies have realized they got a problem, and others are still in denial. <laughs> uh, but it's this right. get, getting rid of nasty coal and 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 getting wind and power and wind and solar, and while we're doing a lot of that. Uh, it's not good enough for the deals we do, and uh, you know I think I think the quicker we realize there's a problem there, but some prospects are being told 48 months before they can get power, and that's just unacceptable. You will not win a deal. No, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what MDA does or Joey does or I do yeah. or any of us do. Those those things have to be fixed. Yeah, and uh, and they're probably five years out. Probably five years out. Well, of course, in our neck of the woods, it's energy. Uh, they seem to be fairly aggressive and, and willing to take some risk mm -hmm. and make some investment in, in that uh, respect. Um, are, you, are you seeing that in your area? Yeah, well? yeah. T TV, TVA is, is, is like-minded. It's just that, that some of the lead times for some of these parts are 24 months. Yeah. You know, you want to get switch gears. I mean, you got to understand, the, the, the steel mill in GTR is TVA's biggest customer, 360 megawatts. The aluminum complex is going to use 300 that's big. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, when we start talking about deals around the state and it's two megawatts, it's three megawatts, that's not the arena we play in. We play in nuclear power plant size mm -hmm. stuff. And, and it's amazing to me that that has kind of been elevated to near the top of the list of, of needs and requirements when they're making site selections. Yeah. We just, just a few months, a year, year and a half ago, companies would come in and say, we want to look at renewable power. We want to look at green power. That's, that's a decision maker. Yeah. The aluminum mill told us that. Yeah. Until they figured out that green power wasn't near as important as having power. <laughs> That's so good. I mean, and it's the same thing, of course, we're seeing with the government trying to really, I think, kind of force on, a, on an untenable time frame the adoption of EVs. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Just not ready. Mm -hmm. It's not that, that we're opposed to it or that it's not viable. Eventually, it's just not today. That's right. Same deal. So, yeah, if you tell a, a prospect four years before we get your power, they're going somewhere else that says, no, we can do it in a year. Yeah, and, and, and that's what we kind of worry about is, you know, you need to be honest and truthful when you talk to people, but is your competition honest and truthful? Right, that's true. And, and, and when we were working on the aluminum mill, this, this, it was the long pole in the tent. It was the deal. <laughs> you know, I, I get tickled. I saw a publication not too long ago that somebody said, oh, it was worth tax incentives. Right. It was, can we get the juice? Right. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, a neighboring state was saying, oh, yeah, we got it. We got it. Well, well, right. we didn't believe they had it. We didn't think they had it. I think they kind of knew they had it, but they weren't telling the company. That's 
that's that's dangerous. Yeah. No, you're right about that. So, but you've got to figure out a way when you're competing to sort of keep them honest without looking like you're you're going negative on your competition. Yeah, well, I, th- I think we figured it out. We had we had a series of meetings yesterday, and and before you build these things, you you have to you have to scope them, and you have to decide where the power's coming from, how the taps are. That costs hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, I'm going to tell you this month, I'm 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 a I'm of a real belief that we're going to locally pin that check and knock two years off that process mm. so we can save 24 months when you come. Sure. And that's the difference in the men and the boys okay. of being able to say, I'll see you, I'll raise you, and here's a big old sack of money that we're going to outrun everybody else. So, But you can show the ROI on that. Oh, yeah. It's easy. Well, yeah. Well, we've shown me. yeah. You understand, we've done four mega sites. We've got four major big companies. you got SDI, you got ADI, you got PACCAR, you got Yokohama. Uh, somebody said, well, what if you do this one and it doesn't work? You can, when I retire, you can say 80% of his mega sites were located on. That's, that's fine with me. That's fine with me. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. That's a pretty good way to, to couch it. Uh, the state overall seems to be enjoying a, a, a fairly decent amount of economic activity and, and new investment, though, does it not? Yeah, they are. You know, I've got, I mean, I've got, I've got friends in economic development around the state, and, and it's always in pockets. But, uh, but that DeSoto, Marshall County area up there, I'm telling you, that's a, that's a, that's a hot, hot spot. And they're going to stay being hot. Uh, the central Joey, Madison, Rankin County, I think they're going to stay being hot for the long time foreseeable future yeah. i think i hopefully we're got more more upside and then you know tupelo and and really oxford batesville that area there i mean there's a lot of good stuff going you know there's some areas of the state that it's not and i don't think you can ever get every place oh and, the, and i didn't mean to leave off the coast sure the coast is a sixty-four thousand pound gorilla if they'll ever figure it no out no doubt ever figured out they're the they're the sixty-four thousand pound gorilla no doubt and i i gotta tell you every time i go down there and that's been recent it looks like it's booming to me mm-hmm. but there's tremendous opportunity oh yeah to be yeah, yeah 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 I, i'd like to sit down there with a paintbrush and be given be given about two two months to structure something and say do it this way and i think it would be fun 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 well ought to be fun we got elections coming up and that may or may not figure into economic development got about 30 seconds left well it it it, it will uh you know you got to think if you have a change well what happens then then all the wheels stop all the department heads change just the change itself is disruptive just the change itself is going to be disruptive for for a year and a half two years anyway yeah and then and then if the if the Republicans got back in power, then it'd be disrupted again. So yeah. you you got probably six years of disruption. And then, of course, you never know what the heck comes out of Washington that might impact that as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Pre- appreciate you coming on. Joe Max Higgins, CEO of Golden Triangle Development Link. We're stepping aside for a break. We're at the Greater Starkville Development Partnership in Starkville, Mississippi, Mississippi's college town. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. I want to be famous, a star on the screen. Welcome 
back, everyone. It's Middays. We are live in Starkville, Mississippi, Mississippi's college town. We're at the Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Greater Starkville Development Partnership. And also want to thank Moe's Barbecue, Main Street, Starkville. Rhino, they've already brought it in, and it's awfully good smelling. I tell you that, I'm looking at the table over there with a bunch of barbecue ready to go. That'll be my lunch when we're completed the show here today. The kitchen's open Monday through Saturday, 11 to 8, and Sunday, 11 to 2 at Moe's Barbecue. And the bar is open Monday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Friday and Saturday, 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. Moe's offers a casual atmosphere during the day and a high-energy bar scene at night. Uh, we got... Provost and Executive Vice President David Shaw joining us at 11.05. So we were talking about um, the debate on Wednesday night and uh, specifically Mr. Presley's discussion response to a question asked by Super Talk's Caleb Sailors. This was post-debate in the press conference about how he would get Medicaid expansion uh, through the Republican-controlled House and Senate supermajorities and he said that first most support it or enough support it to pass it and send a bill to his desk to expand Medicaid but it's a little different than his, his constant refrain that I'm going to expand Medicaid day one of course he is assuming that legislation would be passed he he kinda doesn't share that little nuance that little detail that little requirement but um, he basically said that how, that's how he'd get it done, that he'd get it done because m many Republicans or sufficient number of Republicans in the House and Senate do support it, and they would get a bill to his desk to get it done. Now, I wanted to point this out. This was a, a communication, an email received yesterday that came from the Brandon Presley for governor. Uh, communications team. I have uh, signed up for that so that I could keep up with what's going on. But this was after the debate. Made a point or issued a statement in this press release, I should say. Quote, Mississippi mothers and babies are suffering from Tate Reeves re refusal to expand Medicaid. That the statement made by Michael Baer, communications director for Brandon Presley. Went on to say, did Mr. Bear, Brandon Presley will expand Medicaid day one. I don't know why, Rhino, that's capitalized day one. Keeping hospitals open and ensuring doctors, nurses, and other medical professionals can continue serving Mississippi families. Let's break that down a little bit. First, this assertion that Mississippi mothers and babies are suffering from Tate Reeves' refusal to expand Medicaid. What he is implying with that statement is that I think the average person reads that and thinks, well, mothers and babies are who cannot afford health care coverage that meet the income eligibility test are going without health care. That's just false. And here's why. First, mothers, pregnant women, and then after they deliver, they're on Medicaid if they qualify based on the income eligibility test. 
children as well qualify for Medicaid. In fact, they're nearly half of the total enrolled in Medicaid, and that's simply because they live in households where the the um, income, the household income, meets the eligibility test. But the implication of this, of this statement is that mothers are going without health care and babies are going without health care. That's exactly who is covered now without Medicaid expansion. Medicaid expansion is for able-bodied adults whose income is less than 138% of the federal poverty level. It's disingenuous, I think, to make a statement like that that implies that mothers and babies are being declined health care. What Mr. Presley's trying to say here, it, w without saying it, or what, what the underlying issue is here that he doesn't point out, is that there have been some hospitals which have shuttered their OBGYN services. Now, what he's saying is they've done that because they didn't expect we haven't expanded Medicaid. Therefore, the hospitals are looking to cut costs because they're losing money in this OBGYN program in their services, and so they just cut that out. That is true. That's happened. But he's trying to imply that expanding Medicaid would solve that problem by by making this statement that I think is more emotional than anything else, which is mothers and babies are suffering. That's really not accurate. Medicaid expansion doesn't have anything to do directly with providing health care to mothers and babies. In fact, the legislature, as you recall, just extended postpartum coverage under Medicaid uh, beyond the initial 60 days it's offered, the traditional 60 days, to a full six months. We're coming right back with the provost, David Shaw. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone, it's Middays. We are coming at you live from Mississippi's college town, Starkville, Mississippi. We're at the Greater Starkville Development Partnership, the Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau promoting Starkville, Mississippi. Of course, we welcome to the program now David Shaw, Provost and Executive Vice President of Mississippi State University. Provost Shaw, thanks for coming on, sir. Good morning. Glad to be here. All right, so we got homecoming tomorrow. Is that right? We do. Lots of activities going on on campus and downtown today and tomorrow. Yes, yeah, so awesome. Great vibrancy on the campus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, tell us about the, the status of the university. Let's start with enrollment. How are we doing there? So we, we have had yet another good year. Um, we actually had the largest, by far, the largest freshman class that the university's ever had, over 3,700 students, uh, brand new. And that doesn't count the over 1,700 transfer students that we had. So wow. huge incoming class. And so a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm about the future. And, you know, that's a similar experience that uh, Ole Miss is having as well. T to what do you attribute that? So 
so much of what we work on is making sure that that our students, our prospective students, the parents of those students really understand both the value proposition of the university and the, the value of the degree that they receive. Sure. But also the fact that we really approach this from a serve the whole student standpoint. So that's the, the social life, that's the opportunities for leadership development, the opportunities for experiential learning, activities like study abroad and things like that. So it's the whole package and really getting that message out so that they understand that coming to a Mississippi State, even though we're a relatively small town in Starkville, Mississippi, they're going to have a big college experience in a small town setting. And I think that's what so many students and their parents seek is that good positive experience overall. We again just just the fact that we've had a record freshman class is a, is yeah. a testimony to that but yeah. I think what so many of the parents want to know is are, is my child going to get a good education are they going to have a great experience and are they going to be kept safe. Exactly be safe and, and that seems to have kind of uh, escalated up the list of, of priorities when I think they're, that families are looking at uh, where to attend college. Uh, what about just the mix, the balance between in-state and out-state? So we really, especially as the type of university that, uh, that Mississippi State is, we really strongly focus on in-state students. Not that we exclude out-of-state, but we, uh, again, have about two-thirds of our student body that's in-state. Uh, we're by far the the university of choice for our in-state students, and we want to keep it that way. Uh, we really do see that the the way that we can have the biggest impact on the state of Mississippi is to provide a higher education opportunity for the students that grow that are, are from our state. Now you've got a broad spectrum of of majors at Mississippi State. Of course, are there any particular schools or majors that are that are seeing the greatest amount of interest? So there's a it, that's a that's a great question, and I'm going to give you a combination answer. Sure. You know, so many of the the really strong programs that we have are continuing to grow. So we're well known for our engineering programs and that, that program just continues to really flourish. Uh, our business college uh, is, is seeing some growth as well, but what we're probably most excited about is we've been working as a team across the university to say what are the majors that our students of the future need to be prepared for the 21st century sure. and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so programs like our data science program that is across all eight of the colleges of the university to be able to offer students uh you know all of us are drowning in data no doubt and you just look at the, at our iphones and the data that's generated from that you can get a small imagination <laughs> of, of of the future from that standpoint and so you know first year of the program we already have over 70 students in that program and so it's just really exciting to think about that wow. but then you move to the other side and and you know we have such a strong community college system in the state of mississippi and a lot of the students that graduate with a two-year degree have a technical uh, degree okay. to be able to go out in the workforce. But sometimes after they've been out there for eight, ten years, they really need a, a bachelor's degree to be able to get that promotion, to be able to be a supervisor. And we've got a new program that's called the Bachelor of Applied Sciences that allows those full two years credit toward a four-year degree without having to do any starting over again. And just in the second year of that program, we have nearly 300 students. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, what about your staff? How how you doing there? So staffing is always uh, you know a challenge in in a in a environment which as public employees they can go make more money elsewhere. So mm -hmm. so much of what we work 
on is kind of making sure that we do the best job that we can to compensate them, but also making sure that they really are bought into the impact that we can have. Because working at a university like Mississippi State, you're seeing impact every day if you're paying attention. And yeah. so there's, you know, Miss, uh, Mississippi State for a number of years has been rated as one of the best colleges to work for. And we work on that every day. Sure. You know, there's just a level of enthusiasm on our campus with the staff and faculty that you can feel. Yeah. And that's because we know that we have a mission to have an impact on our state. Well, you know, coming from the private sector, if you if you uh, equated it to that, you got to take care of your people, your team, your staff, in order to deliver that positive experience and and make good on that value proposition. That's right. And that's what you're selling essentially to that, to recruit. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, so much of it. This is not just a job. It really is, in in many senses, it can sound cheesy, but it's a calling um, because we're having the opportunity to have an impact on so many students that if it were not for Mississippi State, they not sure that they would have been able to go to college. That's awesome. And so that, that really instills a very deep, deep sense of mission for our staff. Um, David Shaw, Provost and Executive Vice President of Mississippi State, is our guest. D David, do you track? Placement data, the, the, the statistics there, the metrics there, and, we, and what can you tell us about that? We do, and we're just so very proud, you know, as I said to begin with, about two-thirds of our students are from in-state. But across the spectrum, we do a, a first destination survey, the okay. first job that somebody gets at, at sure. coming out of college, and well over half of our graduates stay in the state of Mississippi. That's good. And that's much stronger than most of the schools that we see and yep. in, in, in basically all of the SEC schools that we see. And so we're just really proud of that as having an impact on our state in a positive way. Hmm. Um, but the the sorts of uh, uh, curricula that um, that you teach here, that, that students um, uh, pursue here, uh, it's preparing them for the jobs that that are available it, uh, it to is. a great extent you know and that's you know I, I gave the example of the data science program and that's that's a good example of one that is really future leaning but at the same time every one of our programs we constantly go through an evaluation process to say what do we need to be teaching for tomorrow rather than what have we always taught? And a, a, to me, a great example of that is the meteorology program that we have. Hmm. You know, it just continues to grow. Over half of the meteorologists that you see out there that are on broadcast meteorology are Mississippi State graduates. Yeah, I was and, actually aware of that, and that's impressive. And it, you know, that just continues to grow, and it's because mm -hmm. even though there's a lot of competition, we have really fought to be sure that we're relevant to teaching for what they need tomorrow. That's awesome. Any particular headwinds that you see coming down the pike that uh, the higher ed environment has to be aware of, planned for? Well, we could spend all day talking about that. <laughs> That's basically what you do all day, is it not? <laughs> you know, uh, obviously, we we all talk about the fact that that in the future we know that that we're going to have fewer high school graduates. And so, so much of our funding model is built on continuing to maintain and grow our enrollment. And just in, demographics in just general. Dem and, you know, if you think about it, what happened was in 2008, with the recession that we had, people started having fewer children. Yeah. And fewer babies means fewer. No doubt. We talked about graduates. that on the show. Elon Musk says we're literally going to run out of workers yeah. if we don't change this trend. 
So we're a lot of what we're doing, and and the, I think is a testament to some of the things that I mentioned a, a moment ago. We're really rethinking what is our potential clientele from a student standpoint, not to just be 18-year-olds. And so that's community college graduates, that's people that are out in the workforce that need additional training, whether that's certificate programs or whether that's graduate programs or, or bachelor's uh, degrees, really thinking about it holistically. And so okay. I'm actually very bullish on our future because we are having those conversations uh, right now, and, and a lot of great plans are being put in place in that regard. The placement data you shared is, is quite impressive, especially with so many staying in the state. Uh, before we go, about 30 seconds, the Mississippi State degree, is that is that highly regarded? Of course, I know it is, but I want to hear your take on that by well, employers. You know, it's one of those that our graduates here in the state actually have the highest initial salary of any institution in the state. That's something that we're incredibly proud of. Well, that's the litmus test right there, in my view. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Dave, appreciate you joining us. Thank you Congratulations on uh, all the success here at Mississippi State University. Indeed. Thank you. Appreciate it. Folks, we're stepping aside for a break. We're in the Element Well studio. We're once again in downtown Starkville at uh, the Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau. Come on, see us if you're in the area. Coming right back, we got Senator Bart Williams at 1135. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. It's middays. We are at the Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Greater Starkville Development Partnership. Downtown Starkville and Rhino tents are being set up. There's food all over the place. It's smelling pretty good. It's beautiful weather out there. Uh, Scary Gary did reserve me a parking spot this year right by the Super Talk bus, so I'm in good shape there. Um, on the ceasefire text line, we got lots of texts rolling in. We are running out of workers due to government programs and laziness. I, we were just talking about the, uh, the Elon Musk uh, prediction that if we don't change the birth rate in this country, if we don't see an uptick in propagation, we are literally going to run out of workers. And so the birth rate has ticked down considerably in the number of Americans at childbearing age, that has also declined. Folks just don't want to start families like they once did. Now, I am happy to report that it did tick up slightly. It ticked down considerably during the COVID pandemic. It did uh, uh, tick up slightly in 2022. But overall, still a problem. Still a problem. So it's I understand the tendency to say it was because people are lazy. I'm talking about future. I'm talking about now over the next few decades. And that's what Elon Musk is warning about, just this kind of shift in trends where folks aren't as interested in getting married and, and more importantly, having a family. And there's a variety of reasons for that. And you go out and look it up, search it, folks, and see 
a ton of reports and interviews with those in childbearing age talking about why they don't uh, want to uh, start a family. Carrie and McComb says it's too expensive now. That's clearly one of the issues. Chad in the Delta says we're doing our part. Baby five on the way. Congratulations, Chad. That's awesome. So um, the Thomas and Greenwood has sent a barrage of texts this morning, including he even dug up an article I wrote back in 2018, I think it was. Was it 2018? I believe so. That is on the, yeah, November 6, 2018. And this was after the midterms is why that came about. This was the midterm election during the Trump uh, term, the Trump presidential term, the first one. You got any high school football scores from last night's games? I do not, Jay, from the Res. I've only got two scores, so that's four teams. That's better than nothing. I was uh, actually working the Madison Central game where they defeated Clinton 35-3, to and they were paying attention during the game to the Tupelo-Starkville <laughs> score, which Tupelo wound up victorious 36-6 to over Starkville. So there's oh, there's two wow. scores, so you got four teams. <laughs> Appreciate that, Rhino. Um, talking about health care in the state, reimbursement rates are the only thing that would help hospitals. Well, um, that's that's not the only thing. That's Tim from Popperville. But, it, again, this is what I'm disappointed in with respect to the health care issue in the state of Mississippi. The governor, I believe, totally gets that, is that the Democrats, and in particular their candidate for governor, they've made it 100% about Medicaid expansion. The old rhino panacea description of it. Um, as uh, Provost Shaw just said, I think he invoked the, uh, the metaphor silver bullet. Um, but it's not. Is it uh, possibly part of an overall solution? And I have some thoughts on that, on, um, which I actually shared with um, Representative Rob Robertson before, uh, after the interview on, on maybe some creative ways to address this issue. Uh, but its reimbursement rates are fine when it's commercial insurance pay, even though Mississippi's commercial insurance reimbursement rates, rates are the lowest in the country. It's fine. Uh, from an economic perspective to hospitals and health care providers, where they run into problems is when they have a, a large number of their payer base, their, their revenue mix uh, being uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and then the, the worst situation is uncompensated. And we have a high amount of uncompensated care, unusually high. Some of that's because we haven't expanded Medicaid. Some of that's because we just have a, a poor population overall. Poverty is still a problem. And even those who work for employers that offer insurance, and they offer insurance that is deemed affordable, by the Affordable Care Act. If they don't do that, by the way, they have to pay significant penalties to the IRS. That's employers over 50. In Mississippi, we have a lot of small employers that are not bound by federal law to offer health insurance. And so they don't because it is expensive. Uh, they don't, they're not required to, to offer it if they have fewer than 50 employees. And even if they did, and some do. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to uh, suggest that none do. Some do. But many don't just because it, it is expensive and they're not required to. Um, and if they picked up some of the premium on behalf 
of their employees, which they are not required to if they're under 50, and they do not pay a penalty if they don't. But they probably are working in businesses where they'd have very few takers. They'd have very few employees that would sign up for it because it's just brutally expensive. It's it's getting more expensive. And that is an issue that I think needs to be on the table to address. So one of the thoughts I've had for several years is, we ought to get creative and figure out a program where we could combine state, the private sector, perhaps Medicaid waivers, and providers, hospitals, all come to the table, all pitch in to, to fund a program that would make commercial coverage available. Now, we'd have to work with the Commissioner of Insurance. We'd have to work with the insurers, in particular, in the state of Mississippi. Blue Cross Blue Shield is the dominant player by far. United Healthcare uh, comes in at number two. But you, you need to have commercial insurance that has a broad network. People want to go to the doctor and put that insurance card down, and the, and the doctor says, or the, or the uh, provider there, right, the doctor's office says, okay, we'll file the insurance for you. Maybe you have a... Um, a relatively nominal copay uh, that that you uh, that you have to come out of pocket for. Perhaps you're having to pick up deductible, but a lot of wellness care is fully covered or mostly covered. Just typical physicals and stuff. You could you could stop a lot of downstream cost and and make people healthier if we could just get people just to first adopt healthy lifestyles and second just submit to wellness cares once you get to a certain age. Um, but when you don't have insurance, you show up, you got to pay out of pocket. People just don't do it. And then they get sick, don't know that they've got something building up inside of them. They end up in the ER, they don't have any insurance. And then the, then the uh, hospital provides the care and covers it and just absorbs it under EMTALA, the policy that, uh, essentially requires hospitals to stabilize the patient even if they cannot pay. And that's how we end up with all this uninsured, uncompensated care. They get some partial reimbursement back from the federal government based on their payer mix, um, including not paying. That's part of the payer mix. If they have a disproportionate share of Medicare, Medicaid, and uncompensated care relative to their private commercial reimbursement, then they're eligible for what are called disproportionate share payments. Those have decreased. That comes just straight from the federal government. It's just cash money to, to compensate hospitals, really for EMTALA. That's, that was the idea. Um, but th- we need to have a broader conversation about this, in my view, and, th- and that's just a that's just an, uh, a, a thought I had is, hey, let's get creative and just not not stand on this idea that we can only extend coverage to the uninsured in the state by expanding Medicaid. That, that I think we could get creative and include discussions um, and ideas and concepts that would um, be spawned from uh, just getting smart people in a room and, and talking about this. But I, I think it needs to be the private sector. It needs to be commercial insurance. It, it needs to be government and Medicaid. It needs to be the idea of possibly seeking waivers. You've also got the ACA exchanges, which are available, that we've talked about so many times as an alternative. Maybe that can be part of that mix. Part of the problem in the ACA exchanges in Mississippi is the only providers, the only insurance carriers, I should say, that sell coverage on the exchange 
do not have very broad uh, provider networks, and so it's 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 um you know not really valuable coverage in that respect. Again, because people want to be able to go to the doctor close by them or of their choice and present their insurance credentials and know they're going to get services and the in and the provider is going to bill the insurance company if the provider doesn't accept that insurance you got to come out of pocket for it well that doesn't do you any good that thus you just don't seek care so i think we could get creative in here but again you need all these spectrum of parties at the table to address this issue it's more than just saying oh yeah just check the box we expanded medicaid done deal problem solved don't don't admit I uh, don't agree with that whatsoever we're stepping aside uh, for a break right now once again we're in Starkville Mississippi at the Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau we're coming back with Senator Bart Williams okay is everybody ready I'm ready ready here middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're at the Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau, the Greater Starkville Development Partnership. We're downtown Starkville, Mississippi, Mississippi's college town. Rhino bumping us into this segment with a little Simple Minds. Rhino, that's like quintessential 80s music, is it not? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we welcome to the program now Bart Williams. He's a Mississippi senator, represents District 15, which includes Choctaw, Montgomery, Octibaha, and Webster counties. Uh, serves as the vice chair of the Senate Technology Committee. Senator Bart Williams, good to see you, sir. As always, I think we just talked at the Logging Association event. Yeah, it not? wasn't yeah. too long ago. It's not always too long ago. Great to yeah. be here. Thank yeah. you for having yeah, me. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming on. So. You heard our interview with uh, Representative uh, Rob yeah. Robertson early, earlier. Uh, you know we got a big election coming up <laughs> next Tuesday. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, your race, tell us about that. Well, um, I had a very um, formidable challenge in the primary. We got through it. Um, as long as I can get through Rit on um, Tuesday, I'll be good. <laughs> Rit Ian, right in guy. You know he, he runs for a lot of stuff. But uh, uh, in all seriousness, we we. We worked hard. We feel very fortunate that people decided to hire us for another four years and yeah. hope to go back there and there and, and continue to do what we're doing. I think we're doing th good things for our state, and hopefully we'll continue to do that. And, and you know, you talked about Tuesday. You know, uh, the governor's race is kind of like what's highlighted, but we're not just electing a governor. We're electing an entire government. I mean, we've got 174 legislators. We've got eight statewide races. We've got our county races here. We've got a contested sheriff's race. We've got a DA race. All these things are very important, you know, starting at the local level, and, and I think uh, we've got good conservative leadership, and we need to be very conscious and cognitive of that when we go to the polls, Tuesday. Yeah. All right, so did you catch the debate Wednesday night? I did. You say that like you're disappointed. <laughs> I don't know if I'm disappointed. It, it was what I expected, but it, um, uh, you know, I, I'll be glad when, when, when the election's <laughs> over. It. My takeaway was this. I mean, we, we had a bully wannabe and a statesman. I think that's kind of how this thing ended. Uh, a lot of misinformation put out there, you know, having been in the legislature, most people aren't connected to it, but uh, to say that we got $21 as a teacher pay raise? Yeah. 
But six thousand dollars, everybody should be proud of that. That's bipartisan. And the governor made a great point uh, of really refuting that. I, he did, I, I think. And um, what, if you recall, what Mr. Presley said is, "Well, I tell you what, I I put the teacher in touch with you, and uh, while we're talking about it, I'll extend that invitation as well. If the teacher wants to uh, come on and talk about it, I'll make that invitation. I got to get it approved by management here, but I think we can probably pull that off. Absolutely. But uh, hey, bring your stubs." Let me see your pay stub before. That's the only, that's the litmus test of this. Let's just don't talk in terms of kind of random numbers. But let's see the stub before. Let's see the stub after. I got a feeling what they may be doing, and the governor pointed this out. Maybe they're, they're considering um, inflation, and they're, they're putting an inflation adjustment factor on those numbers. And I get it, but that's a result of the federal government and bad Democrat policies, honestly. Well, well. We're practicalists. We, we, we want to look at the numbers and understand it. In my opinion, you, you've got a candidate out here that's trying to appeal to the naivety of the Mississippi voter. Our voters are smart. They're intelligent. They want to say what the voters want to hear to get them to vote for them on Tuesday. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah. For example, um, I'm going to cut the car tags in half. Yeah. I think the state gets $14 a tag, if I'm right, somewhere around that. So It's that, a small amount of money. That You're right. coming locally. And if you take it away locally, how are you going to subsidize that? We've made that point many times, Senator, that, that essentially what I think they would be looking for is the state to make the counties and the cities whole by doing that. Well, that's, a, that's I think, about $300 bucks, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that in concept's good, and, and I don't mind talking about cutting taxes. Sure, I'm conservative, absolutely. I'm all about it, but, but we're in a moment where we have excess revenues. Uh, history says that doesn't last forever. We fast forward, I hope, a long time in the future, but we start having deficits. Where are we going to cut? You know, where's that going to be cut at? Who's in the legislature and going to do that? And, and the last place I'd want to do it is at a local place, but that might be where it is. And now the local municipalities and counties are going to be forced to try to augment that. And right. I wouldn't want to try to put a future legislature in that position. Yeah, and uh, he really didn't clarify that. And that a lot of it felt to me like it was just staying at such a high uh, level that uh, without really digging into the details, and you know the governor well enough to know he, he likes to dig into the details, and he tried to pull Mr. Presley in that direction, and they just really kind of stayed at the, at, at the sort of high, vague level with the, the various refrains and talking points. Well, I think I've been in the legislature three years, and I've worked with both of those men, obviously Commissioner Presley um, in, the, in the north, and, yeah. I, and I met him through uh, some personal acquaintances after the election, and of course I've had to work with him, and obviously the governor as well. Tate Reeves is a man I've seen for three years. Brandon Presley is a different person. Um, I don't know if an election does that at that level. I haven't been there, so I so yeah. kind of withhold. But he's been coached or something's going on there. Yeah. It's just really changed him because he was a likable guy, the guy that he tried to be, that he's trying to portray himself as. He's not. He's not a. He's a bully. He has offended every elected person in Jackson, I think. <laughs> the legislature especially. I mean, you know, how's he going to work with us? He's going to have to amend that. Um, our, our DPS commissioner, he went on him the other day, and this is a guy I think has done a great job. And, and, and none of us are beyond reproach. We, we welcome criticism. We want to do our jobs better. But by and large, I think Rob said it, the people that serve want to serve their communities and do good for them by and large. There's always, you know, bad apples in any, any jar, in any bucket. But by and large, we're down there to try to make things better for the people we serve. Yeah. And I, and I totally believe that. But just talking in generalities and then sort of twisting and turning and, and contorting some of the talking points, uh, like with respect to, to Medicaid expansion, yes. uh, I mean, gosh, you would just think that, you know, full economic bliss, maybe immortality would break out if we, if we 
if we expanded Medicaid, uh, you got to temper that and, and really drill down into the, the realities of that. And uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to get that done in the debate in such a, sh a short amount of time. But the governor well knows uh, all those details. Absolutely, he does. I mean, I mean, that is obviously a, an issue that's in front of us that we need to deal with. Our healthcare situation is an issue that, that we've got to tackle that and figure out the solution and every possible solution needs to be on the table yeah the medicaid expansion conversation is such a large breath i mean the governor said 330,000 people uh, 100,000 private insurances would not uh, uh commissioner presley said 230 i've looked at models at 180,000 i mean i think where's the reality there's no consensus we've got to we've got to get hard numbers i mean yeah, before we go forward with it and and as I've said here before, I'm not about welfare expansion. I'm not about subsidizing someone that's not in the workforce. Right. I think that's a hard pass on, on a lot of us, the conservatives, that would consider the conversation as we go forward. Yeah. Um, as I heard you say a minute ago, I mean, there, there are other models out there that are um, public-private that, that we can do this and move maybe some people to private insurance through some models that we could create. I think that's fascinating. I think we need to get the smart people in the room. Maybe we'll leave the insurance guys out. Yeah. As we go forward, start with that and talk sure. about it and bring them in at the end of it. But how do we find a way forward where the private sector can be profitable? We're capitalists, of course, but also how can we um, personally let government have less interaction with this? Because when is you know government does great in the military. Yeah, where are we most efficient elsewhere? Yeah, uh, totally true. And and there there are some improvements we could make there as well. Certainly in, in how we yes, allocate our funding, but and that's a core function of government. I yes. mean, that, I, mean yeah, I think it's hard to argue that government's first responsibility is to protect the nation and to, to keep bad guys from from uh, doing harm to it and its citizens. And I think we all could agree on that. Yeah, as a senator, I think my number one responsibility is public safety. No that doubt. takes on many forms, and, and decisions I make are based upon that premise. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So do you have any, any uh, just predictions about the outcome on Tuesday? You thought through that? Seen any polls or talked to folks that are kind of it's plugged all, in? It's all over the map. I think the governor's <laughs> race is a close race. I think yeah. people need to get out and vote. You know, a lot of people sit at home and think it's going to take care of itself. It doesn't. we got 30 35% of the people voting on a good day, and, and, and that's bad. Yeah. There's another reality is, is we have someone selling themselves as an old-school Democrat, the kind our parents had back when the party was different. That party's dead, by the way. I hate to say it. I wish it weren't, but it is. There is a good chance, not a good chance, but there is a chance that in the next four years, the governor of Mississippi could swing the balance of power in Washington, D.C., and people need to realize it's if true. a sitting senator, for whatever reasons, were not to finish their term, the governor gets to appoint that person. That That's a real thing that if a conservative is sitting there on the fence thinking about this, weigh that along with the judges the government appoints. You know, The reality is the legislature and politics in Jackson is not a single-person sport. It's a team sport. Yeah. There's 174 of us. There's one governor. And we've got to work in tandem and try to create good policy for our people. We decided a long time ago we didn't want a king. We set it up this way. That's how it's supposed to be. But we need to, you know, we've got to get along. We've got to work together. But That's those, a good point. Those are executive privileges that the governor has that um, could, could have, you know, universal consequences. I totally agree. And uh, I, I've actually heard uh, Governor Reeves make the statement that uh, if Brandon Presley were to somehow prevail and there were an opportunity, a seat were vacated in the U.S. Senate, we certainly hope no such thing No, happened. of course not. Um, but uh, you, you have to at least be cognizant of the power the governor has. He said you're looking at Senator Benny Thompson, should that occur. Yes. That's what we got to think about. Yes. 
right That's there. real. That's yeah. a real possibility. Uh, Senator Bart Williams, appreciate you coming on, as it's always, a pleasure, sir. and uh, congratulations uh, on all the success here in your district in Starkville, Mississippi, the Golden Triangle in particular. You you guys have, have got a great thing going up here in this region. We're blessed to be here, and I couldn't leave without saying this. Hell State, come out to the homecoming game tomorrow <laughs> they with the Wildcats. A, they even got a cowbell on Hey, them, if guess. you'll give it to me, I'll ring it. <laughs> Folks, we're stepping aside for a break right here. Once again, we're at the Convention and Visitors Bureau in Starkville, Mississippi, promoting Starkville, Mississippi's college town. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. I got a rice cooking in the microwave. Got a three-day beard I don't plan to shave. And it's a goofy thing, but I just got to say, hey, I'm a doing all right. Yeah, I think I'll make me some home. We are back with you in Starkville, Mississippi at the Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau. And I tell you what, they got it going on up here in Starkville for the month of November, a, a series of really cool events. Thursday, November the 14th through the 16th, Starkville's favorite two days of shopping is kicking off with a brand new preview party. All is bright preview night. The next morning offers another chance to get an early preview at Bubbly at the Bazaar. And then the Holiday Bazaar is celebrating more than 50 years. You don't want to miss it on 11-24. That's Friday. That's Black Friday. Bonanza. Lots of deals at the local shops on 11-25 Saturday. Small Business Saturday. Monday, 11-27, the Starkville Christmas Parade presented by Reeds. And then Thursday, 12-7, the Budweiser Clydesdales Parade. So a lot of stuff going on in Starkville. Rhino, I tell you what, if you want some food, they got it on here, up here on the sidewalk. And if you don't see something you like, just travel a few more feet. You'll see some <laughs> something else to eat. But they got plenty of it up here. That is for sure. Beautiful day. Appreciate you guys uh, joining us. Uh, Jeff on the ceasefire text line says, Governor Tate Reeves visited my stepdad's work yesterday in Bay Springs, Mississippi. He said the governor was a super great, nice guy. Mickey Invaden said, let's see, he received something this morning, wondering if it's an attempt to sway people to go not vote. This is from Freedom Rising USA, probability of winning the Mississippi governor's race. This particular piece shows the governor, Tate Reeves, at 72.1%. Now, now, that's not polling. That's just a 72.1% of winning. Now, of course, there are three candidates on the ballot. Uh, you haven't heard much about the third candidate. That is because... She pulled out of the race, when was that, Rhino, month, month and a half or so ago, um, but is still going to appear on the ballot due to a technicality there with respect to state law and the Secretary of State. Um, and so there are some who believe that we could see a runoff. We do have runoffs in the general election in the state of Mississippi. Some states do not. You've got to have 50% plus one to win outright. 
in the general election. And if that does not occur, we're looking at a runoff. It would only occur if there are a sufficient number of votes, likely, I'm saying, likely, uh, for the third party candidate or the third candidate that is going to be listed on the on the ballot. Now, that doesn't necessarily force a runoff. You want any candidate could still get 50% plus one, but when you got only two, you're going to get a winner. There's no chance of a runoff, but when you got three, there is at least a chance, and we shall see. Let's see what else we got on the ceasefire text line. Um, da -da -da -da. On top of everything else already said, I think another issue is some of these hospitals are run by boards of elected officials who don't have the business knowledge to run a snow cone stand, much less a hospital. Well, there's, there's certainly something to be said for the fact that we do have a, um, a, a number of publicly operated hospitals in the state of Mississippi. There's no thought about, uh, no doubt about that. And, um, yeah, I'm sure you, you certainly could draw some conclusion in comparison that those that, that uh, are operated by private sector entities are, are usually operate more efficiently than those operated by public. I haven't really done the, the, uh, any research on that per se, but it's certainly something that uh, some other people have brought up as well. Jeff in Forest County is not a uh, Tate Reeves fan. He says, Brandon, wipe the floor with the governor. I haven't heard anybody say that, and I don't know that I could reach that conclusion whatsoever, having viewed uh, live the debate. Um, I, you know, debates are so subjective. How do you say one person one versus another? I mean, the, and the governor knows this and says it all the time. The only poll that really matters is the poll uh, at the ballot box, the one we're going to do next to Tuesday. That's the only one that really matters, so we'll certainly see what happens uh, with that and that's what we're looking for uh, and someone said on the ceasefire text line I'm looking for the text here that um, uh, that what the governor did with respect to tapping into some additional federal money for existing Medicaid has really been a, a godsend to the hospitals, and this person says they have a spouse that works at the hospitals, that it's, they have benefited already. They've seen the benefits. And it's just higher reimbursement rates um, more than anything else for existing Medicaid, that they have seen lots of uh, benefit financially from that. And, again, that just depends on, and, and I, it certainly it's, gonna, it's going to help everybody in the hospital business because virtually everybody does see existing Medicaid patient deliver services under the program. The ones that don't get any assistance from that are those who are seeing a large number of patients that have no insurance. Additional Medicaid reimbursement doesn't help them other than covering the, those without insurance, the uncompensated care. We're stepping aside for a break. It's top of the hour. Fox News, Super Talk News. Mayor Lynn Spruill will join us at 1235. Coming right back. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well studio today in Starkville, Mississippi, at the Starkville Convention and the Visitors Bureau promoting Starkville, Mississippi's college town on this Friday, y'all. A beautiful one out there as well. Folks are starting to gather up downtown here on the sidewalk. Okay, I'm seeing someone walking around in shorts, so it must have warmed up a bit. It was a little chilly this morning. The winds have shifted from the south, having been out of the north, which makes it a bit uh, a, a bit chillier, shall we say. Um, we're back with you, though. we got Mayor Lynn Spruill joining us, the mayor of Starkville, of course, coming on at 1235. We've been talking about the governor's race, which is coming up, uh, the election coming up this Tuesday. Man, it's hard to believe that we are there. We've been discussing the debate. Uh, from Wednesday evening, if you guys caught that. Of course, it was broadcast. Let's see, who, who carried it, Ryan? It was WAPT and then also Mississippi Public Broadcasting. I caught it on their, on their radio. And they, they had very, very tight guidelines, did WAPT, who kind of owned the debate, if you will. It was conducted in their studio. But we did have Caleb Sailors from Super Talk News was present. And he did uh, have the opportunity to ask Mr. Presley, or both candidates actually, a question or two post-debate. They took questions. Um, again, the focus mostly on health care, Medicaid expansion. That consumed about a quarter of the debate. Mr. Presley also wants to raise the minimum wage. Currently, Mississippi observes the federal minimum wage of $7.25. He wants to cut the grocery tax, the sales tax on groceries, presently the highest in the nation at 7%. And we, we got to do a little caveat about that that's, that I think is, is necessary to pass on because it, it's just disingenuous to make that statement again without some clarification, without some nuance. Talking about Mississippi has the highest sales tax on groceries in the country. First of all, um, in Mississippi, for the most part, sales taxes are at the state portion, 7%. Sales tax you pay um, on goods that you purchase that are subject to goods and services, actually, subject to sales tax. Most of those transactions uh, are only levied the the Mississippi state portion, which is 7%. There are just a handful of municipalities that have layered on a, additional municipal tax on top of that. That is different and considerably from the rest of the country. Most of the rest of the country, in fact, is just the opposite in in that uh, there are layered taxes on top of the state sales tax. And so we talk a lot about the state of Mississippi and its, its income tax, which has been reduced uh, under the last uh, term. Um, we're eliminating the 4% bracket that's already happening and then reducing the 5% from from five to four that goes into effect starting next year over a three-year period but when you talk about sales taxes specifically you gotta talk more than just the state portion so in Mississippi 
the average sales tax is 7.07%. Note that it's just 0.07% higher than the base state portion, which is 7%. And that's just because of these handful of municipalities that have layered on an additional uh, percentage onto the state 7% rate. Well, in neighboring Louisiana, when you consider state, local, parish taxes, it's 9.55% on average across the state. In Alabama, to our east, it's 9.24%. In Arkansas, also to our west and northwest, 9.47%. In Tennessee, 9.55%. So the states that are adjacent, that border the state of Mississippi, all have an average sales tax rate that is north of 9%, whereas Mississippi's is at 7.07. I'm just pointing that out just for context, because when Presley says, hey, look, I'm for cutting the grocery tax to by some amount, I think he said zero has, has been um, his, his refrain to this point, what he's been proposing. And by the way, the governor said, hey, if the legislature cuts the grocery tax, any, any tax cut that's sent to his desk, he's made it clear he'll sign. However, he believes, as do I, that the most efficient tax that, um, approach we could take is to eliminate the income tax. I think that would serve the state better long-term and would stimulate economic development, which I think is key to solving all of our most pressing needs. And so the governor makes the point, as he did again Wednesday night, we're trying to compete with Tennessee to our north and Florida to our east and Texas to our west, all of which have no income tax. Why am I talking about that when we're talking about grocery taxes, which is what Mr. Presley is really promoting that he's all behind, as well as cutting car taxes? Because I believe that if we cut the grocery tax, sales tax, eliminating the income tax is impossible. And that's because municipalities, which derive... Um, almost all their revenue, some do, and in, in, in some have kind of a balance between sales tax and, uh, and property tax, but it's a big portion of their revenue. If that were cut by cutting the grocery sales tax, eliminating it totally, the state's going to have to pick up the tab for that. They're going to have their hand out, and I, I get it because they would lose a big chunk of revenue. Now, you could say, well, let's just cut the grocery sales tax, just the state portion which would be some 80% of the 7% on groceries. Okay, that's certainly an option. You could do that. Uh, and then the same with the car tag fees, because most of the car tag fees, like the lion's share, a small portion of car tag fees is the state fee, state portion of that. The vast majority of that is county school district. Well, you could cut that in half, as Mr. Presley has proposed, but that then means the state's going to have to step in and cover that on behalf of those of those counties and and uh, school districts and um, and he doesn't really point that out. Like, where are you going to get the money to do that? Um, the last figures I looked at said that would cost the state about two hundred eighty to three hundred million dollars a year because the counties and the school districts would be gutted. Now, how can you be for that and at the same time 
promote the idea of so-called fully funding education to the MAEP formula. So you're cutting over here and you're adding over there. That's just playing shell games. You're just playing shell games. You're just shifting money around. You're not really achieving anything by doing that. It's, it's, um, it's contradictory. It's a contradictory policy, honestly. And so I know a lot of people would say, man, that'd be great if we cut my car tax. But if the state has to pick that up to, to plug that hole that counties and school districts would incur, that just makes it more difficult to cut the income tax. And the elephant in the room that's not getting any attention here is PERS. The state's going to end up, I firmly believe, having to having to appropriate a significant amount of money to stabilize PERS for the long term. Significant for a while. Which makes all this extremely difficult because I believe you gotta take care of your your obligations, your prior obligations first before you start um, working around revenues and spending other monies. You gotta take a take care of what's on the books in the liability column first. And this is a big one. PERS is a big one, and it's got to be addressed, and I, and I believe it will. But I just wanted to point that out. And, and so, um, and then the other thing you, you heard us talk about was uh, this contention that the, that the teacher pay raises, which Mr. Presley says that's not sufficient uh, because he said, said some teacher in his district said they only got $23 increase in net pay as a result of the pay raises. I, I just uh, I want to see the data. Show me the stub, the the before stub, the after stub, before the raise went into effect, in the pay, and after. Um, to, to where did they come up with that that number? But it's easy to just say that, and it, I guess it it does kind of stimulate the emotions, and and people are probably that are Mr. Presley supporters saying, yeah, you get them, Brandon. Except, is that factual? Is that truth? The governor, I think, was right to question that. I'm questioning it. It doesn't really add up logically now it is true that um, that state health insurance rates are going up but that hasn't gone into effect yet it's slightly it has but there's more coming on that so this is prior to that and that's just a reality of health care inflation and you can thank Barack Obama and Joe Biden for that what does Mr. Presley have to say about those in his party that are the root cause of this through their policies we are stepping aside for a break right now on Middays. Once again, we're in Starkville at the Greater Starkville Development Program. We're coming right back. we got Mayor Lynn Spruill at 1235. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. Huge, huge news. Huge, huge. Huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Everyone, it's midday. Super Talk, Mississippi. Once again, we're at the Starkville Convention and the Visitors Bureau promoting Starkville, Mississippi, Mississippi's college town. Homecoming at Scott Field tomorrow. Rhino, what time's the game? You know, is it uh, afternoon game? Seems like that's what I remember. We got Ole Miss taking on A and M. Six thirty kickoff. 6.30, okay. Well, I, I got my time messed up. And who's the opponent? It'll be the Kentucky Wildcats. 
Big Blue coming into town, huh? The Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, what do you think? I think State will take them. Homecoming, Kentucky. They're pretty good now this year. I think State will take them. I do. I'm optimistic on that. Ole Miss got Texas A&M. They will be entertaining them at Vaught Hemingway Stadium. A game with uh, huge consequences. <laughs> That's coming up at 11 o'clock tomorrow. So I'm going to be on the road early heading up there. Uh, and don't forget, we got the mayor of Starkville, Mississippi, coming up in the next segment, Lynn Spruill. On the ceasefire text line, look at Supertalk arguing for taxing working folks' groceries. Did I argue for that, Rhino? Mm, no. No. In fact, I'm for all tax cuts, honestly. And, and I passed on what I've heard the governor say out of his mouth. You send me a bill that cuts sales taxes on groceries, I'm signing it. However, he believes, as I do, that cutting the income tax is more would provide more benefit and value to the state of Mississippi. Are you saying working people don't pay income taxes? Or are you trying to cut sales taxes on groceries for people who don't work? Unbelievable. And this person goes on to assert, I'm sure you saw this, Rhino, that we're just reading off the script the Reeves campaign gave us. <laughs> you got a script, Rhino? Mm, no. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, you, <laughs> this is a person that uh, clearly uh, does not like the, the governor, and that's fine. Uh, nobody gives us a script for anything. The only script I got is uh, some of these uh, live reads because these are the people that pay for these remotes, and they're paying for us to read it. I got that script. Other than that, I don't got a script and never do. A lot, you know, a lot of people are kind of surprised to find that out, aren't they, Rhino? Yeah, I know you've heard that before. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have, but yeah, it's one of the more ignorant assertions thrown our way. <laughs> uh, like management huddles up with us and said, "You go out there and say this and that and the other and promote this and that." That's just complete horse hockey. I can assure you this: I wouldn't do this if that were the case. It's it'd be no use, be no fun. And 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 uh, I do this because I enjoy it, honestly. And I, I hope we're providing what people out there view as uh, is informative and entertaining. That's what it's all about. Nobody hands us a script. That's just insanity. It's absurd. Uh, unlike what we see so often in the other party, honestly, <laughs> and from other operatives who often, as you have seen, have to look down at their piece of paper and read when they provide answers to questions or they're attempting to provide analysis and they just, boom, go straight down the party line script that they've been handed, such as our president. He can't even read it, honestly. Unbelievable. Um, Someone said, not all teachers got the max amount, Reeves quoted, talking about the teacher pay raise. Mr. Presley asserted that there was a, a teacher who advised him that the net increase in their pay, talking about the net pay, was 23 bucks after the pay raise went into effect. The average was $5,100 to teachers. And the and at a cost of, what was it, Rhino? $250 million a year is a bunch of money out of the state general fund 
to fund those raises on average $5,100. Now, some districts also have additional components of the pay that they pay out of their money, not the state portion. But if your average is $5,100, and by the way, I checked that out in one of the news, uh, through various news sources, just to make sure, because I, I recalled it being around 5000 a little north of that. I, I mean, I'm even looking at an article here from PBS. You'd hardly say that they'd be looking to, to um, uh, write anything that would be complimentary of a Republican governor. But they did. They did. March 30th, 2022, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves signs largest teacher pay raise in history. And it, it actually cites that House Bill 530 did an average increase of about $5,100. Average. So let's just say it's half that. It's $2,500. Still, I can't make that yield $23 net. That means you're you're sitting in a a 90% tax bracket. There is no such thing, or that you had some other uh, additional expenses that are being withheld um, uh, from your pay, from your gross pay. So, so just again, give me the stub before, give me the stub after. Let's just forget all the rhetoric, and let's get the stubs and and uh, get it right, and just deal with the facts. I have often wondered if the lottery results were copy reads. That's from Rhett and Ridgeland. They could be. We don't have any on this show. I think Mr. Gallo does, but they're paying for that. The lottery actually pays for that. They have a lottery segment, and uh, they also pay for some of that promotion because they're in the business of selling tickets. And as part of that, they want to... Uh, they want to... Um, Let's see. They want to promote sale of tickets. I'm sorry. I was reading something else. Thanks for verifying what I said. Not all teachers got the maximum amount. Uh, okay. I think we did that. We took care of that. Reading the script like Tate did during the debate, you mean, says Chip in Corinth? I didn't note that the governor was reading a script. Not honestly, I didn't note that Brandon Presley was reading a script either. I think both of those guys have been uh, around politics uh, long enough, and, um, and and they have and certainly been running this race long enough where their talking points are pretty much embedded in their head. I think that's fair to say. And no matter what the venue is, what the setting uh, is, that, that they're going to, of course, continue to, to uh, make those talking points. And what I heard from... Both candidates Wednesday night was consistent with what we've been hearing on the campaign all year, but understand that everybody doesn't get to see or hear them um, all the time during the, the campaign, so they may have been hearing it for the first time, and that's fair enough. There's no big deal. Uh, so, by the way, I'm, I'm verifying right now uh, about the, uh, the live reads. On the, I'm talking to someone at the lottery right now about that. So, um, no, no big deal. I don't, I don't know what the point about that is. This is in response to my point that we're not handed a script, certainly from a political perspective, zero. When it's sponsors and people that are paying for advertising and promotion, sure, they give us what to say. Sometimes we help them uh, draft what to say. No big deal. Raised. 
Let's see. They uh, am I looking at this right? Raise based on continued education. Go back to school and continue to learn if you want a larger pay raise. Yeah, I I got it. So, yeah, there's uh, based on your degree. Um, as a public school teacher, you um, you receive um, bumps in your in your pay as a result of uh, achievements of higher degree levels. So, yeah, I did verify. Sure, the lottery pays for the libraries. Why is somebody making a big deal out of that? I don't know. It doesn't really mean anything. Which would be a bigger savings, income tax or grocery? I can't really decide. Depends on your personal situation. That's from Jason Starkville. Depends on your, your income. Depends on how much you spend on groceries. Heck, Rhino, you know people. They don't buy any groceries. They eat out all the time. Therefore, it wouldn't help them. You agree? You know some people like that, don't you? They pretty much eat out all the time. Fewer and fewer under Bidenomics. Well, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, I, I heard a report this morning that uh, a Big Mac um, in New York, because they have different prices for different parts of the country, 18 bucks, the Big Mac meal, 18 bucks. 18 bucks. It's unbelievable. So, again, it depends, Jason. But think, besides just savings today for people that live here today, I'm not certainly saying that they're not important. Of course they are. But think about what's the best way to grow the state's economy, to keep our fantastic graduates in the state, to attract more people and industry in the state. That's what I'm searching for. I believe that cutting the income tax would do more in those regards than cutting the sales tax on grocery. I'd love to do both, honestly, and, and that has been discussed. That's probably not economically feasible or practical, and I'm going to say again, with this PERS sword hanging over our head with the massive obligation we got there, that's got to be included in any discussions of cutting revenue, whether it's grocery tax, car fees, or income tax. We're stepping aside for a break right now. We're coming back with the mayor of Starkville, Mayor Lynn Spruill. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's midday super talk mississippi we are live at you today from downtown starkville mississippi we're at the starkville convention and visitors bureau promoting starkville mississippi's college town and speaking of starkville we are pleased to welcome the mayor of the great city of starkville mayor lynn spruill good to see you again mayor well it's delightful for me to be here i appreciate the opportunity to talk about my favorite subject so <laughs> absolutely so uh you got the chamber of commerce weather brought in for us today huh? we did we ordered it special <laughs> up just for you uh, uh homecoming tomorrow big Home, time homecoming tomorrow and we're celebrating today we've got our citywide tailgate downtown here so all the stores are participating food from one end to the other 
really awesome. Um, I think it was Bart Williams that said earlier, Senator Bart Williams, if you don't like what you see at the first tent, just walk a few feet. <laughs> You'll find something you like. That, That's exactly It's unbelievable. Right. That's exactly really right. Is. Our city employees are down at, uh, down at uh, City Hall on our little plaza there, and they have brought the cooker in, the smoker in. It has been amazing. That's awesome. Well, it's a lot of fun. you got to do that sometimes, right? Well, so uh, yeah, as often as possible. As often as possible. I know they all work hard as well. They so, do. All right, give us an update. I know you love to, to talk about uh, the great city of Starkville. Give us an update. How are things going? I do. Things are going Things are going incredibly well. We're really excited. We're doing some major projects, and, and for those who haven't been to Starkville in a, in a while, our downtown is a little messy, but we're doing things that are going to make it better in the long run. We're improving our infrastructure, our water, sewer lines, all the underground stuff. We're taking care of that so we don't find ourselves in any kind of problem 20 years from now or whatever. So uh, we're taking care of that. We're going to redo our main street, so we're going to bring the sidewalks out and make it a more friendly for cafes and hanging around. And we're also uh, working hard on all our parks. We just opened, did our ribbon cutting on Cornerstone Park, which is our tournament and recreation facility. So we're really excited about that. And then we're upgrading all the rest of our parks in town, too. Well, I remember you talking about that last time we chatted, the, the park project. Yeah. So it's a big deal. It's a, it's a huge deal. And we've really... Uh, seen some remarkable uh, impact from it uh, in the sense that people are feeling really good about it. They're out there using it. It's It's been very well received in the community, and we're really proud of it. I think we've stepped our game up, and that was part of what we wanted to do. Do you feel like that's something that the residents of Starkville uh, are fully behind? They want to see an improvement in recreational facilities like that? Absolutely. Well, they voted for it. When okay. we, when we okay. put that 1% referendum uh, yeah. on, they voted for it overwhelmingly, 74%. So, and that's rare when you can get that kind of support for a, a 1% addition to your food and beverage tax. So, okay. yeah, they absolutely supported it. And it was part of our master plan. So we are we are taking our master plan, and we are working our master plan. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Um, what about uh, just economics overall and the economic climate in the city? How are your, how are your tax collections? What do your revenues our, picture our look like? Our sales tax continues to go up, food and beverage in particular. Sales tax has been a little bit, little bit flat just because as people – People coming out of COVID, they're they're not they're not going to the the brick and mortar stores in the same way. So we're seeing some of that use tax being a part of that uh, revenue source in terms of uh, the sales tax aspect. But the the brick and mortar stores are still yielding us. Uh, if not flat, just a little bit of growth, but not as much as we might have seen in previous years. But I think that's due to the fact that people are buying online these days. Yeah. And I'm guilty of it, too. I mean, I try to remember to don't do that. You know, go <laughs> go to the store and get it. But, you know, there are things that uh, you can get online, but you do get some return you off get of some, it. But you're getting some, some yeah, tax revenues absolutely. off that when absolutely. the uh, legislature enacted that uh, a couple of years ago, right? Oh, Three, it's been it's been wonderful for yeah. us. We had, we had estimated what we were going to get, and it, and it exceeded that. So okay. it's been really good. We've used it for exactly what it's intended for, for uh, improvement of our streets. So we've put a lot of asphalt down, and we're going to keep putting asphalt down. Okay. And, you know, that's something that, of course, is, is constantly in focus, is it not, Mayor, that infrastructure needs, which are a, a chief responsibility and just function of um, governing a municipality. It's, it never ends. But 
I got to believe it gets more expensive if you keep delaying and putting those things off. Then you say, okay, we're gonna, we're not going to do that today. It's a big project, costs a lot of money. Don't want to deal with it. And then all of a sudden, when it gets to the point where you got to, it's probably more expensive at that point. No, no doubt about it. And that's one of the things I've been really proud of this board on. We have been incredibly proactive about what we're doing. We've replaced infrastructure in our older neighborhoods where we were having the most maintenance calls. What we're doing is data driven, and we're we're doing that to our streets. We're doing that to our uh, underground utilities. So we're we're looking ahead for 20, 40, 50, 75 years of improvements, and we're trying to do it now and be smart about it before you have to do it. And so it just makes the most sense in the world. So we've, we've got a, a, in fact, they were here last week doing an analysis of all of our streets. Okay. How, where, which ones are in the worst shape that need the most help? Which ones are um, are able to do a, like a sealing process yeah. that will give us another seven years so that we can stretch it out and make it make sense as we go through the community? Because, you know, we got 300-something miles of road, and you can't do them all at once. Hmm. So you've got a plan. And I've been really, really pleased with our ability to do that. And it also keeps us from going, well, I want this much in my ward and this much in my ward. <laughs> and then you you spread it out so that it hasn't done squat. Yeah. So we need, we're doing it the smart way. And I'm really, really proud of the board for doing that. Starkville, of course, uh, home to Mississippi State University, which is a, an awfully big deal. Uh, what's it like when you talk to your peers, your, your, your counterparts that are mayors of other cities from across the state? What sort of challenges do you have versus what they have or benefits do you have that they have don't have as a result of having the university so close by? Well, obviously, we have the benefit of having the university so close by because that gives us a whole new offering of things for people to do in town. Yeah. You've got your athletic events. You've got your opportunity to, to go to school. In fact, I found out today, and I didn't realize it because to me it hadn't been published widely enough. If you're over 65, you know, we claim to be a retirement community or a, a there's this age age favorite yeah, or something. Yeah, whatever, right, that new, yeah. whatever that new phrase is <laughs> um we have uh the ability to to go to the university tuition free over 65 I didn't know and take that. a class i didn't know it either i think they uh, ought to state be law? yeah uh, I, well i don't know if it's just mississippi state or if it's state okay, law but okay but if we can do that then that's a huge benefit to for a retirement Incredible. community i felt so myself i've tried to decide what i'm going to go take. well i know you're you're a promotional oriented mayor i got a uh, feeling you're going to start promoting that we're going to be talking about that <laughs> absolutely well you know I, our community should be from from cradle to grave and i hate sure. to say grave but, yeah. but but it should be able to offer things for all ages and so so that's a big deal, a retirement community and a playful community, which is why we're improving our parks, making them uh, more friendly for the for the kids to enjoy, the parents and the grandparents. But yeah. we want this to be a place where people want to be in every aspect that we can make it happen. Yeah, I think that's awesome. We just had uh, Provost David Shaw on the program earlier, and he was discussing all the great things going on at Mississippi State. And it sounds like they're, they're poised for tremendous growth, are experiencing unbelievable growth with huge uh, freshman class and enrollment up and so forth. You know, that's not the same across the country, though. Mayor. No, it is not. And I commend the state, uh, Dr. Keenum, Dr. Shaw, all the, all the staff have been doing an incredible job to keep bringing people in. And, of course, we benefit. We benefit. You talked about challenges. Challenges come with ballgame weekends, huge ballgame yeah. weekends. Yeah. So you've got uh, challenges just in terms of dealing with that number of people, you know, 
in and out of the stadium and you know an hour and a half yeah so all of those things but other than that there are no challenges that can't be met and that yeah. can't be appreciated so well um growth and, and scale are good problems to address it's when it's shrinking to go the other way so yeah well you start to worry a little bit exactly exactly <laughs> and if you're smart and you and you manage it ahead of time then yeah. you're you're well ahead of the game and yeah. i think we've done that we have an extraordinary police department we have extraordinary fire department our sanitation department all the guys who work to keep it clean to keep it pretty to keep it safe and we're doing all those things yeah. Yeah. Well, as you know, we got elections coming up and uh, won't, won't uh, get into that so much with you. But I will ask you, what are your priorities in the next legislative session? We're, we're going to be seating a whole new class. I mean, a lot of people are running for re-election, but you're starting a new term and things are certainly different. Yep. Um, what's on uh, what's on your radar from the city of Starkville's perspective? Well, from our, our perspective, obviously, we've been uh, very fortunate to have participation from our representatives to help us get money for our Main Street project. And we need a little bit more more help in that regard we've also got infrastructure elements you know you could give me 20 million dollars tomorrow to redo water lines and i could use every bit of it <laughs> but we, you know the whole thing with sharing the arpa money matching arpa money we've matched every dollar and so that was a great benefit to us and so those kinds of actions uh we still certainly have needs everybody does yeah. and try not to be greedy but you know if it's out there then let's let's use it what do you think about uh, PERS? I've got to ask everybody that comes oh, along. Ouch. <laughs> ouch. I know it's not a popular subject, but it's uh, not. Well, July 1, 2%, and then it's yep. 2% every yep. year until they get to the, the necessary rate they deem appropriate to to achieve stability in the program. How are you guys going to deal with that? Well, that's part of why we had a tax increase this year is in planning for that because we knew calculating it out what it was going to do to us. Same thing will be happening next year, but I do think that we need to have everybody needs to share that. I think the employee, and I'm an employee, I'm a PERS, PERS beneficiary. Yeah. I think we all need to share a certain percentage of that because beyond that, it's really painful because you are ta looking at tax increases yeah. every year to cover that. Well, the state just has that. the luxury of saying, okay, we just give more money to the agencies at the agency level, but municipalities and school districts and counties, they derive their revenue from other sor sources. They don't quite have that luxury. We do not. Yeah. Mayor, always good to see you. Congratulations on all the fantastic success here in the city of Starville. Have a great uh, homecoming event. We appreciate you having us up here, and thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Folks, we're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. We're in Starkville, Mississippi at the Greater Starkville Development Partnership. Partnership, The Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau specifically is where we are. Stay with us. Half an hour of middays left. No, final segment is next. Pardon me. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Final segment here. It's a beautiful Friday. All the tailgating in process here in downtown Starkville. 
We're here once again for the Starkville at the Starkville Convention and Visitors Bureau promoting Starkville, Mississippi's college town. Once again, as well, thanks to Moe's Barbecue Main Street Starkville for providing lunch for all of us here today. And it looks good, smells good, and I'm probably going to partake a little bit when we complete uh, the show today. On the ceasefire text line, only because Trump endorsed Tate is the reason you're backing him. Huh? Because Trump endorsed him? No. First, when did Trump endorse him, Rhino? Like three days ago? Yeah, Something like that? It was the, the day before or the day of the debate. Unbelievable. I, I, <laughs> I you know, laugh at that one. It's just crazy. But this is other. It's the same person. You see the text, the, the exchange from September 28th. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. On September, I guess I missed that on the show on that day. And didn't you make your, I guess I was talking, we were talking probably about Democrats, Clinton, and so forth, and their running of the economy. And didn't you make your small fortune during the Clinton years? And I said, who made their small fortune during the Clinton years? You did owning your own computer company. Well, you don't want to hear the whole story behind that, but I can assure you that during the Clinton years, um, I was trying to uh, just make ends meet. When I was uh, running my company, the, the company was about 10 years old at the point, and it's really, really hard uh, to start a company from nothing and make it successful. That may come as a shock to you, and I know most leftists believe that anybody that ever achieved any degree of financial success, they just woke up one day and money was in the bank. They didn't have to do anything to earn any of that. Nothing could be further for the truth, but I can't think of anything that Bill Clinton did except, except, shift to the right after his first term that uh, created an environment that's certainly uh, a better environment, a more conducive environment to uh, economic growth and to producing return on investment risk. Uh, Bill Clinton would be a hardcore conservative compared to Joe Biden and the Joe Biden um, Democratic administration and those in the Democrat Party in Washington, uh, for sure. I also saw a report that Mr. Presley failed to show at a at an event where he was scheduled to speak to some business folks down the coast. I sort of feel like that Mr. Presley, of course, being a Democrat and like so many Democrats, uh, you know, successful capitalists, they are to... Democrats and Mr. Presley would be included in that, as kryptonite is to Superman. That's what I believe. Someone proves the old saying every day, you can't fix stupid about lots of that stuff going on. I totally agree. Clinton gave us GPS. Huh? GPS was in development for a long time before... It became commercialized, but I don't. I mean, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Rhett and Ridgeland says, "I voted for Jim Hood last time, but Tate has won me over with his ability to get out of the way of business in the state. In fact, I have recently opened my second business since Tate took office. And again, I can pass on working in economic development um, in a in a board capacity for the last five years. That recent comments we've received from prospects that Mississippi." Is, um, is, is so easy to work with from a startup perspective or an, an expansion perspective. And this is from 
a very, very, very large company that, in fact, we have learned has said in board meetings, we need the other states to be as easy as Mississippi is to work with when we're considering making investments. That's all I need to hear right there. That is where the rubber meets the road. That is the litmus test. I simply do not think we'll see the same if we had a Democrat in the governor's mansion. I just don't. And, it, and it's not necessarily stating that Mr. Presley is anti-capitalist or anti-free market. He really doesn't talk a lot about it, honestly. He does tout his tax cuts in the small town of Nettleton. He has, of course, talked about Medicaid expansion, cutting the grocery tax, cutting the uh, grocery sales tax, cutting car tax, and increasing the minimum wage. That, that's kind of been the, the main priority, uh, I guess, uh, uh, policy priorities that he has articulated. I haven't heard him say a whole lot about economic development. I do hear the governor talking about his success in that arena and his plans and his continued focus in a second term on that. I believe him in that respect, and that's the primary reason why I support him, because I'm going to say it again, I fully 100% believe that that is the path to, to health, to prosperity, to a quality of life. It's growing the econ economy in Mississippi, growing opportunity for people to move up the economic ladder, not just giving more from the government. Folks, we're out of time here today. Once again, we've been in Starkville, Mississippi at the Starkville Convention Visitors Bureau promoting Starkville, Mississippi's college town. Have a great weekend, everyone. Back with you Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.